Welcome to the High Vibe and Healthy Podcast. My name is Fran Dargaville and I'm a functional nutritionist with a passion for gut health and real food. I'm here to share my take on nutrition and health, answer your questions and chat with leading health and wellness experts and all-round inspiring humans. Enjoy this week's episode and submit your questions at frandargaville.com or via my Instagram, frandargaville. Hello, I hope your week is going really, really well. I'm really excited to be sharing today's episode with you because I haven't done an interview on this podcast in months. I used to do them all the time. Really, every second episode used to be an interview, but then I wanted to dive into all of these topics and be able to go really in depth into these topics and feel like I was giving you what you need in a really well-rounded way. But now I'm feeling the pull to do more interviews and I'm really, really excited about that. And our first guest is absolutely awesome. So today we're going to be chatting with Dr. Pedre, who is a functional medicine doctor, a board certified internist, the medical director of Pedre Integrative Health and the author of his brand new book, The Gut Smart Protocol. After years of living with irritable bowel syndrome, Dr. Pedre became an expert on how to heal the body from the inside out, beginning with the health of the gut microbiome. In this episode, we cover Dr. Pedre's experience meeting the Hadza tribe, which is one of the last hunter-gatherer tribes remaining, and he shares what he learned about gut health from that experience. We chat about gut dysfunction and how leaky gut causes inflammation, the link between our metabolism and our gut health, and Dr. Pedre's top tips for improving gut health. This is a really awesome episode and I know you're going to love it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hey, Dr. Pedre, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Pleasure being here. I'm really excited to have you here and to be chatting all about gut health. So obviously this is something we chat a lot about on the podcast, but we're going to take some different directions today, which I'm really excited about. So as a medical doctor, I'm going to make an assumption that you probably didn't start your career with an interest in gut health. So I could be wrong there. So please correct me if so. But how did you actually get interested in gut health in the first place? Geez, the last place, uh, if you asked me when I went to medical school and uh, decided to become a doctor, the last place I would have thought I would have ended up in was it with gut health issues and dealing with digestive issues of all sorts. And honestly, it was something that I actually grew up with because I remember from the earliest memories as a child having severe stomach pains, food sometimes not sitting right, having a lot of issues going to the toilet, all sorts of home remedies being given uh, for that from laxatives to like antispasmodics to just homemade remedies with certain types of root vegetables that were mashed to help make my stomach feel better. And during my Teenage years, I was put on so many antibiotics for colds and upper respiratory infections and bronchitis that it basically destroyed my gut microbiome and led to IBS or irritable bowel syndrome and eventually leaky gut and sensitivities to a lot of broad food groups, including wheat and dairy or gluten. Um, wheat, wheat is uh, gluten. And as a result, I just grew up with this and it affected my immune system and it was probably one of the, the motivations for me to become a doctor was to not really fix my gut. I was more focused on how can I not get sick so much 
and not take so many antibiotics. So I, I had my attention on the immune system, but not so much on the gut. And it's funny because when I was in my residency training in the hospital, um, I impressed the, the chief of gastroenterology so much that he pulled me aside as a first year intern and asked me if I was interested in becoming a gastroenterologist. And I said, oh, that's like the furthest thing from my mind. I don't want to be a gastroenterologist. And certainly I still wouldn't want to be a gastroenterologist. I'm not really interested in procedures and doing endoscopies and colonoscopies and all that. I really enjoy functional gut health. And it was something that I just became curious about when I learned functional medicine and went to my first conference and started learning about the, the gut and the gut microbiome and how all of that affects the entire body. And then relating it to myself and my story of having been on antibiotics and developing irritable bowel syndrome and living with it and suffering with it for two decades of my life, thinking that there was no real solution, that only the, the, the remedies in Western medicine were all Band-Aid remedies that treat symptoms, but they don't resolve the underlying cause. So I just thought, I'm just going to have to learn to live with this for the rest of my life. And it was when I discovered functional medicine that I realized, wait a second, this is actually fixable. You can, I could actually reverse issues that I've dealt with for over two decades. And there were a variety of, of not just gut issues, but gut related health issues like migraines and poor energy, fatigue, skin rashes, eczema, all these things that now we know are all related to gut health. And I became curious once I started working on myself, I became really curious about patients that came in with gut health issues. And I, and I would take note that a patient had IBS or gut health issues and had migraines. Another patient would come in with gut health issues and have allergies or asthma. Another patient had eczema or some sort of skin rash or hives. And I started making all of these, these interesting correlations. And as I learned functional medicine, I just grew. It wasn't like I was trying or desiring to become a gut health expert. I was just really curious and following what what was my interest at the time? And little did I know that my interest was going to take me to a place where I would basically be recognized as a gut health specialist and make this kind of like my life work, having written my first book, Happy Gut, and now my second book coming out in April, The Gut Smart Protocol. It just became my passion and seeing the, the way that working on gut health issues can transform people's health for the better, uh, whether it be their skin, their brain, their mental health, uh, their energy, their metabolism, so many things get better. The more I understood this and the more research I saw coming out about the gut microbiome and how important it is to our overall health, I, I just became more and more passionate about it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And it's so, so fascinating as well. And I think everyone here probably knows by now that gut issues aren't just related to digestive symptoms, as you were alluding to. Obviously, there is just so much more to it than that. And really, any symptom or condition under the sun can really have some connection to gut health. So yeah, I love that. I think that's super fascinating. So you sort of alluded to some of these common symptoms that are related to gut health. And I know a lot of that comes back 
to inflammation. So could you share with us a little bit about what inflammation is and the link between inflammation and the gut? Well, inflammation in general, we know like if you injure yourself and you fall, you hurt your wrist, inflammation is characterized by redness, warmth, swelling. These are This is inflammation that you can see with your eyes right? It's very obvious inflammation. But a lot of times when we're talking about inflammation, we're talking about inflammation that is happening biochemically inside the body through certain signal molecules like interleukins that are released by both white blood cells and fat cells in the body. And this is metabolic inflammation that is turning on inflammatory pathways inside the cells. This isn't necessarily inflammation that you can see with your naked eye, right? Like if you and hurt your knee, you're going to see it gets swollen, it gets painful. That's very obvious inflammation. The inflammation I'm talking about is inflammation that's inside the body and it's indolent, it's chronic, it's low grade, but it is the common factor behind all chronic degenerative disease. And when you wonder, well, where does inflammation come from? Well, the biggest potential source for inflammation can actually come from our gut. Just thinking about like how big the gut is, like the the small intestine is anywhere between 16, 18 feet in length and its surface area is, is the size of a tennis court approximately. The large intestine approximately five to seven feet. And again, a very large surface area. There is a lot of potential interface for inflammation and all along the gut lining, you know, every time we talk about inflammation, we have to think about the immune system and 80% of our immune system is all along our gut lining, patrolling and checking almost like a border patrol, checking what's coming through and recognizing it as self or non-self, making sure that there are no invaders that are getting through. But when you have certain insults to the gut that will increase gut permeability, for example, taking a round of antibiotics, or taking over-the-counter pain medications like uh, even paracetamol, but also, which is, we call it acetaminophen, I think you might call it paracetamol, and ibuprofen, NSAIDs in general, they can increase gut permeability either directly or indirectly by effects on the gut microbiome. And when gut permeability increases, it's imagine that your gut lining is like a coffee filter. And when, when you're making like, a traditional pour over coffee, you're gonna fill that coffee filter with coffee grinds. Imagine that those coffee grinds are the food that's getting digested inside your gut. And the coffee filter is behaving like your gut lining. When you pour the water over, it's gonna infuse that water with the essence of the coffee and and the beans and the oils, and that's gonna get through the filter. And on the other side is gonna be this really beautiful uh, pot of coffee that doesn't have any coffee grounds. But imagine if I take that filter and now I take a small needle and start poking holes all over that filter. And now I fill the filter with coffee grounds, that digested food and everything else that's inside the gut, and pour the water through. Well, what's going to happen is you're going to get coffee grounds getting through those holes. So now that coffee filter has become more permeable or leaky per se. That's what happens in our gut. When the gut becomes more leaky, then more inflammatory substances, which can be partially digested proteins that haven't finished digesting in the gut. It can be viruses, bacteria, 
yeast that get through the gut border or even parts of them like what's released from bacteria that are in the large intestine of a particle that's known as endotoxin or LPS or also otherwise called lipopolysaccharide. And that is released from the outer shell, from the membrane of the bacteria. And that happens to be one of the most potent instigators of our immune response. And when that happens, then our immune system gets activated and sends a kind of a, a telegram signal to the rest of the body saying there's inflammation, the body's inflamed, like activate the immune response. And you might actually see things happening in other parts of the body as well. So you can see eventually uh, dysregulation of the immune system, autoimmunity, you can see thyroid issues, people who get migraines, you can have people who develop allergies or skin rashes, eczema, psoriasis, hives. All of these are immunological phenomenon that can happen when the immune system gets dysregulated from inflammation in the gut. The other thing that happens is metabolic is that your insulin signal gets scrambled and insulin is the hormone that regulates your blood sugar. So when insulin is secreted, you want it to be able to bring your blood sugar down easily. But when you've got leaky gut, that signal gets scrambled. So your cells if before all it took is this much insulin to get your cells to take in glucose, sugar, when there is insulin resistance, suddenly the cell is almost like it's deaf to the signal. So now the body has to produce more insulin and now the signal is up here. It's producing maybe twice as much, three times as much, five times as much insulin because the cell can't hear it unless all of this insulin is circulating. And when you have that much insulin, it's also going to have a different effect. It's going to tell your body that it's time to store calories as fat and you start gaining weight in the middle. It affects your metabolism. Those fat cells become a feed forward cycle on this inflammatory cascade because the fat cells, especially inside the abdomen, the visceral fat around the organs, also starts producing its own inflammatory signals, interleukins, that then activate more of the immune response and create more of inflammation in the body. So the gut is and can be the biggest source of inflammation for people, but it doesn't even have to be symptomatic. You don't have to have gut issues to have a gut-related health issue that's due to inflammation. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned some of the consequences in terms of skin conditions and some of those other things, but in terms of the actual impact of gut dysfunction and leaky gut on the metabolism, what are some of the sort of outcomes or consequences or symptoms that people might be experiencing from that? Well, simply blood sugar dysregulation. So they might start presenting with metabolic syndrome where the blood sugar levels increase slightly, or maybe even they become diabetic where the blood sugar is above, the fasting blood sugar is above 126. But they will also present with weight gain. And along with that, maybe they're going to present with, with headaches, with malaise, with fatigue. Uh, maybe their joints also get inflamed. They might feel achiness and stiffness in the joints, their fingers, in their hands. And they might actually feel achy in other parts of their body as well. And all of these symptoms are related to that dysregulation of that that internal system that has now become imbalanced. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of a bit of a vicious cycle between the blood sugar dysregulation and the gut dysfunction as well, right? I think there are a lot of people talking 
over the past mainly year or so about blood sugar regulation and wearing continuous glucose monitors and all of that kind of thing. And there's a lot of value in that, you know, in my opinion, personally, and obviously balancing our blood sugar levels definitely should be a priority for for all of us. And that can for sure impact on gut function as well. But to know also that the gut impacts our blood sugar regulation as well. I think that's really important. It is a two-way street and just focusing all of your energy or, you know, everything you do on balancing blood sugar alone without addressing what's going on in the gut, I guess you're not really optimizing and and looking at everything that you may need to be. And I mean, a lot of the things that support blood sugar regulation also support the gut and vice versa as well. Yeah, but not everything. And I think of kind of like a cartoon where you've got this giant person and you think the person is under in control, but then you go into the head and then there's all these little organisms that are actually manning all the control systems and they're controlling the bigger organism. And in a sense for years, we thought that all of these phenomenon were happening inside the body as effect of mechanisms of disease that were only due to issues and imbalances within the body. That the pancreas was not producing enough insulin or you were getting insulin resistance because you're gaining weight. And now what we understand is putting into this picture that the gut microbiome is almost like that silent puppeteer that's pulling the strings of your metabolism, it's affecting your insulin sensitivity, it's affecting how much fat you will hold on to in the middle of your belly. And and it's something that I've seen over and over in people who, you know, for example, they, they've do, they're doing everything right to lose weight and they hit a weight loss plateau and they just can't get past it. And they've tried all sorts of diets, but the one thing that they haven't really addressed is the gut and the gut microbiome. Maybe they've been on antibiotics, maybe they've been really stressed, maybe they've been taking painkillers. You know, there's a myriad of things, even birth control pill, which can increase gut permeability, which then causes inflammation. I mean, how many women start birth control pills and then gain weight right after that? And you think it's the hormones, but it could actually also be the effects on the gut permeability and increasing inflammation in the body that causes that weight gain, especially in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when we have this blood sugar focus, Focus as well. I'm just thinking about, for example, the ketogenic diet that a lot of people will follow for fat loss, weight loss, and of course, you know, medical reasons as well. But when someone is doing the ketogenic diet in a very, you know, I suppose, junk focused way, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that do that diet and they are focusing on just, you butter, know, just dairy steaks, products, cheese. Yeah. I mean, I, I think back to the eighties and the, the old Atkins diet where you could basically have butter, steak and cheese for dinner. And you're like, oh my God, I can eat all of this and lose weight. But no one was thinking about, well, what is the effect on the gut microbiome? by doing this. What happens when you're not getting enough fiber in your diet? What's going to happen to your immune system? And what's going to happen to the diversity of your gut microbiome? We didn't know these things back then. And the interesting thing is that if you look at people who did the Atkins diet, you could lose a ton of weight on that first round. Like you could use lose 50 pounds, no problem. These are people maybe 300 pounds, 250 pounds that really needed to lose a lot of weight. Once they go off the diet, they inevitably gain back all the weight. And why is that? Probably 
the answer and the place that no one was looking is because there are gut imbalances that are still present that when you go back to eating the old diet, it just brings back all those gut microbes. Uh, this is actually something really interesting. You know, I was in Africa right before the pandemic and I had become really interested in the Hadza because there had been multiple studies done on their gut microbiome and the Hadza being one of the last hunter-gatherer tribes on the planet. There's only about a thousand of them left but they live in smaller groups and they move around and they're still hunting and gathering and they live mainly from hunting small to medium-sized animals to land animals to foraging for root vegetables, berries, honey, like they eat the whole, when I say honey, they're not eating like processed honey like we do out west. They're getting the entire honeycomb. They're eating everything, sometimes including the bees. And they have an incredibly diverse gut microbiome, partly because they haven't been exposed to antibiotics like the rest of us. But the other, the one of the interesting studies that they did on them was looking at the seasonal diet because depending on there's two seasons there there's the rainy season and there's more the dry season and even though there's there are some things that are true across year round in the diet there's certain foods that are going to be more predominant during the rainy season and some foods that are more predominant during the dry season and what they noticed was that there were shifts in their gut microbiome that when their diet shift, certain types of bacteria seem to disappear. They weren't as present in the gut. And yet when the next season came back and they started eating slightly differently, it would bring back those phyla bacteria that seemed to disappear, but they were always there in, in probably in small numbers. And perhaps that's what's happening in, in people's guts when they're doing these extreme diets. Uh, you know, I, now the, the new keto diet is more of a plant-based, like uh, balanced, uh, fiber-rich. You know, we realize that we, we maybe got it wrong the first time around and that's not so healthy. And the, the irony is that Dr. Atkins himself died from heart disease. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? And I'm glad things are shifting. And obviously it is very confusing out there with all of the different diets and approaches and knowing what is, you know, the right thing to do for the individual. And I think, you know, as we we're sort of chatting about with the blood sugar piece and the gut health piece, I think with the, you know, higher fat, higher protein uh, and that sort of blood sugar consequence, I think that's something that people can see a shift really quickly. Whereas as you were sort of alluding to with the, the gut health piece, often those shifts basically occur over a much longer period of time. So those changes to your gut microbiome, you know, for example, as a consequence of eating more fiber, eating more plant foods and that kind of thing. So it's not like you necessarily change your diet to a gut-friendly diet tomorrow and see all of these shifts immediately. Some people definitely do, but it usually takes longer. So I think having that awareness that it's not an instantaneous shift is really important as well because a lot of these shifts in terms of, you know, changes in microbes and everything, as I said, it, it just takes place over a longer period of time. So a little bit of patience. Is and, definitely and, and I will say, I will add to that, that improving the, the ecosystem of your gut microbiome can take time, especially if you've been on multiple rounds of antibiotics and whatnot. As a counterpoint to that, they've, they've looked at what is the effect of a Western fast food diet on the gut microbiome. And the interesting thing is that if all you start eating is fast food, like hamburgers, french fries, soda, all that, 
The gut microbiome, you can actually register shifts in the gut microbiome within 48 hours of changing your eating pattern. So the, the, your microbiome is responding to the types of foods that you're eating and it can definitely deviate in not such a good direction quite quickly if, if you start eating these foods. But if you're on the other way, you know, it always takes a little more work to, to heal than to actually mess things up in a sense. It's like entropy versus putting things back together. But it, it takes dedication, but it can also happen in as short as two weeks or 14 days. You can really start to notice some significant differences when you make the right dietary changes. Yeah, absolutely. And what I think is so cool about working on your gut microbiome is a lot of people do it to address one of their key issues, whether that's a skin issue or fatigue or whatever it is. They do it to address one of those key issues. And then surprisingly, all of these other improvements happen as well. You know, then they end up having more energy. They have more mental clarity. They start losing weight, even though they were just focusing on that one thing. By addressing this really root cause foundational issue it can really have that system-wide effect, which is really cool. Yeah, and, and that's really kind of what inspired me to dig deep and, and get into the gut health realm is what it creates for the person is almost as if you, you are rebuilding the foundation of your health. And just like a house can't stand without a foundation, your health can't stand without the foundation of a well-balanced gut microbiome, diverse gut microbiome, and healthy gut lining. So everything else is dependent on that. It's almost, I, I like to call the gut the root system of the body in the same way that the roots of a tree are the most important part of the tree that determines how healthy the tree is going to be. Well, for us, it's our gut. It's like it's basically the root system of our body. Yeah, absolutely. A quick message from me to let you know that right now I have spaces available in my four-month one-on-one nutrition programs. If you're struggling with bloating, constipation, food sensitivities, or other gut-related symptoms or conditions from anxiety to endo, I would love to support you. In these programs, I help you to get to the root cause of your symptoms in a realistic, sustainable way. You'll get personalized nutrition, lifestyle and supplement recommendations and online messaging support in between sessions to get all of your questions answered and make sure nothing gets in the way of you getting results. Head to frandargaville.com or the link in my Instagram bio to learn more or book a free phone chat with me. Okay, back to the episode. So I'd love to give people some really sort of tangible, actionable things that they can actually go and put into practice in their lives. So what do you find are some of the most impactful things that people can start to do for their gut health? Yeah, the top two, I would say, are experimenting with whether wheat or gluten is problematic for them because the science has shown that that gluten uh, has an effect on gut permeability and increases the likelihood of leaky gut. Even for normal people, even though it's less for people who don't have issues with gluten, but it could be triggering some level of low-grade inflammation for people. So that's one place to start, especially if, if you're eating some of the more hybridized wheat, the more modern wheat that has higher levels of gluten than some of the more ancient uh, wheat flours like the einkorn wheat. And the other thing would be dairy because, first of all, 
70 to 90% of the worldwide population is lactose intolerant, and we really shouldn't be drinking milk for a variety of reasons. But not just because of that, but dairy tends to be a very antigenic type substance for a lot of people. And what I mean by antigenic is that it provokes an immune response for a lot of people, and cow dairy being the top one. Um, there are other types of dairy like goat and sheep. They're not as antigenic as cow's milk. And obviously, there are different tolerances to different types of, of milk. Uh, I'm sure people out in Australia have heard of A1 versus A2 cow milk, and it has to do with a difference in the casein protein. And A2 milk is just easier to digest because of a change in one amino acid allows our enzymes to go in and clip the molecule more easily. So it's more easily digestible and tolerated by, for, by people. Um, but even if, say, you're drinking A2 milk and you still have some allergies, you've got some runny nose, you've got some nasal congestion, you get headaches, then the milk could still be having a... An, a could, be, could still be causing a problem through an immune mechanism because it's triggering a food sensitivity that's irrespective of whether you're able to digest it or not. So those are the, the top two. And, and to add to that list, um, I think worldwide, um, we're eating too much sugar and too many processed foods. And those foods tend to favor the growth of unfavorable bacteria and yeast in the gut. So you're, you're never going to go wrong by reducing sugar intake and watching for sugar in hidden sources like drinks, even health food drinks, like healthy, healthy drinks, like a green juice, but that has a lot of fruit juice in it or other ways that sugar gets hidden, like in um, protein bars with erythritol or, you know, sugar alcohols. All those things can have unfavorable effects on our gut health. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I would really love to, I guess, draw everyone's attention to here is that your top tips are focused on food. I think a lot of people think of supporting their gut health and they go straight for a probiotic supplement and it pretty much ends there. But obviously the, the impact of making these shifts with our food can be much, you much greater than just taking a probiotic supplement, right? Yeah, and I talked about the things to take out that are going to help improve gut health. The other thing is, well, what do you put in? First of all, the majority of the people in the world are not eating enough fiber. So we need more, more fiber in our diet in different forms, soluble and soluble fibers like in oats, in different types of, I would say, gluten-free grains like amaranth and buckwheat, but also um, leafy greens, things like that. The other thing is incorporating fermented foods. Now, the trick here is that not everyone can eat all the same foods. And what I had learned from over a decade of working with gut health patients is that when it comes to gut health and gut-related health issues, there are no two guts are the same. So how can their diet be the same? It can't. What's right for one person might not be right for another person, but it can get really confusing. And that's why in my new book, The Gut Smart Protocol, I created a quiz that divides people into mild, moderate, or severe gut issues. And I'll give you an example. If you have severe gut issues, your, your gut is not ready to accept and digest fermented foods. They're going to make you sick. They're going to make you not feel so great. So if you have, if you take the Gut Smart quiz and you're in the severe category, 
You can't have ferment, even though fermented foods, you probably heard and read articles that fermented foods are great for you, they're really good for your gut, they're good for your gut microbiome. And there was actually a study done by Stanford University in 2021 that showed that fermented foods increase the diversity of the gut microbiome in a way that fiber-rich foods did not. So being able to incorporate fermented foods in the diet is a goal. Eventually, you do want to be able to do that. But if you have severe gut issues, and even if you test moderate, you can only dip your toes in the fermented foods aisle and test little bit at a time and see if it agrees with your body and then slowly incorporate them over time. Ultimately, incorporating fermented foods are going to help reduce inflammation in the body. You know, we can think of fermented foods kind of like probiotics, but in a natural form, they're coming in different uh, forms like sauerkraut, like yogurt, which could be coconut yogurt, dairy-free yogurt, or almond milk yogurt, and things like pickles, uh, pickled vegetables, um, all these things, kimchi. These are great sources of fermented foods that should be incorporated in the diet. But what I wanted to answer is the confusing question, well, what is right for me to eat? And it's not everything is right for everyone. And that's what I tackled in my book because even fiber-rich foods, uh, they might make one person sick if their gut health is not great. You might not be ready to eat even uncooked vegetables. You need to have cooked vegetables, which makes it easier for your digestive system to break down and assimilate. Um, so there's a lot of caveats within this, uh, but and then there's these macro ideas which apply to everyone which could benefit their gut health. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is really, really helpful because there's a lot of marketing messages out there and supplements and all of these kind of things that are very one size fits all and diets as well. So it's obviously really confusing for people. And I'm sure you've seen lots of people as well that having all these fermented foods and bone broth and all of these kind of things that are supposed to be healthy and making them feel worse. So I think it's really helpful to clarify that more is not always better. And these things aren't always tolerated, at least initially. So sometimes you've just got to do that work first before you're actually able to get that. So, you know, I think that's really, really helpful to provide that understanding and that idea of sort of personalization and that we need that bio-individual approach. I really do think that personalization is kind of the next wave. And, and my goal is to teach people how to become more intuitive about their eating and really listen to their bodies and understand what feels right and what isn't right for them. Because ultimately, even in a book like mine, where I've separated things into three categories, mild, moderate, severe, and I have food lists that are classified for each, but there might be something that's off category for a person. So ultimately, the job of being the expert on your own body falls on you. And the way to become an expert in your own body is to become really tuned into what's going on in your body. And I talk about that in the book with before meal intuition, mindful eating while you're eating, like being fully present with the the act of eating and how that food is sitting in your stomach and post-meal intuition to reflect and understand how did this meal affect me? How do I feel after I ate? And even, you know, a lot of times I think what's really helpful for people because we, we sometimes, you know, if I ask you, what did you eat a week ago? Maybe you'll remember if 
if you went out with friends and there was a special event, but it might be a little bit harder to remember exactly what you had for dinner on Friday night, unless there was something connected with that memory. And a lot of times it's so useful to take notes and write down what you ate, how you felt, how did you feel afterwards and start to tease out the patterns because that then helps you develop that muscle of intuition that then can guide you on what is the best way to eat for yourself and for how you want to feel. Yeah, absolutely. That is such good advice. And I think that's that awareness, that whole level of awareness really helps people to navigate the world of confusing diets, confusing supplements, and all the sort of nuances that come with this whole health space. I think that personalized approach and that level of intuition is just so, so important. So thanks for sharing that. So you've mentioned your new book. Could you tell us a little bit about who that book is for and give us some details on when it's coming out and where people can find it? First of all, you know, I think the book is for everyone. But specifically, it's one for people with gut health issues that want to improve their health, but it's also for people with migraines, asthma, allergies, skin rashes, skin issues, uh, autoimmune disease, brain fog, fatigue, joint achiness, that want to improve and revitalize their overall health, that feel low energy, that feel like they need to improve their metabolism, lose weight, and feel better inside their bodies. So it's it's quite broad, but I, I understand that still, I think we're, we're in a better place now where people are more and more understanding the importance of the gut as foundational for all of their health. Uh, but I still think, you know, there's a lot of people still need to learn that. But the book is at least for the 896 million people in this world that suffer from irritable bowel syndrome, and that's just one category of disease. There's so many people out there that could benefit from this. And sorry, what was your your second question? Because I got <laughs> sidelined by the first one. Yeah, where where can people find the book and when is it coming out? Because I believe at the time of recording, I don't think it's out yet as far as I know. I know um, that it's so out in the US on April 4th. Um, it'll be out in bookstores here worldwide. I know it's going to be out in Australia, but I don't know the exact date if it's going to be maybe slightly different than the U.S. launch. Um, but it, you can find it in any of the online booksellers. It's going to be on audiobook as well. And if you go now to gutsmartprotocol.com forward slash gift, for all your listeners, you can download a free chapter from my book with a couple of surprises, a foreword by Dr. David Perlmutter, who wrote the very famous Grain Brain, and start getting an idea of what the book is about and may, and whether it's right for you or, or not. Awesome. Awesome. So to wrap up, do you have one final piece of advice that you can share to anyone listening in terms of how they can support their gut health? Yeah. One thing that I really think drives this point home that I'm going to make is that you can't out diet or out supplement a stressed out lifestyle. So when we're working on gut health, you know, a lot of times we're talking about what to take a probiotic, what diet to eat, and all those things are super important. But if you're doing all of that and you're super stressed, then you have a really big obstacle to your healing that's going to block a lot of the, the benefits of the other things that you are doing. So 
as part of my book, one of the things that I did was include a whole section on meditation breath work and explaining the role of the vagus nerve and why it's so important to get your body into a relaxed state that allows your body to feel safe, relaxed, and able to digest and assimilate nutrients, but also to be able to get into a healing state. So if there's one other piece that I, I want to get out there is the importance of addressing the mind-body connection, the mind-gut connection, not just from the gut-brain, but from the brain to the gut, and the things that you can do to relax, to release stress, uh, because stress is another thing that increases inflammation in the body. So all the things that we can do to reduce stress are going to benefit gut health. And you can't heal your gut without addressing your stress. Yeah, that's such good advice. Thanks for that. So for the listeners, where can they find you and follow along with you? I know you have a great Instagram page, which is very entertaining. So maybe could you share your Instagram handle and anywhere else that people can find you and follow along with you? Yeah, the main place where people can find me is on Instagram at Dr. Pedre, D-R-P-E-D-R-E. And I also do a little bit of TikTok. Uh, and those are kind of like my main channels. I may start doing a, a bit of YouTube. And of course, they can learn more about me by going to gutsmartprotocol.com and, and learning more about the book. And I've got my bio there. And yeah, and I've got the links to my socials there. So yeah, I, I try to create uh, what we call um, edutainment. So entertaining content that's educational and gives free information, inspirational things for people to think like, oh, you know, maybe if I change this one thing, maybe this will help me. And that's what I hope to do is inspire people to better their overall health through the lens of the gut. Totally. Yes. Definitely go check out Dr. Pedre's reels because they're very entertaining. And as you said, edutainment, that's exactly what it is. I love them. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing all of this with us. I definitely got a lot out of it. I'm sure everyone listening has learned so much about their gut health and yeah, I've, I've read your book and it's incredible. So everyone definitely go and check that out when that comes out. But yeah, thank you so much for your time and sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge with us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the High Vibe and Healthy podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to chat with me about how we can work together to reach your health goals, head to frandargaville.com. To connect with me day to day, Instagram is the place to be. Follow me via my handle at Fran Dargaville. And finally, please note that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not considered to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. <laughs>